Good morning. It is wonderful to be with you again. We've looked forward to this for quite a while. You have have been and continue to be a very special church to us. Um, it's kind of a bittersweet time as we uh, share together. Let's pray and we'll begin. Our gracious Father, we praise your name and we thank you for this church that you have established so many years ago. Father, we thank you for uh, your continued grace here. We thank you for their new pastor and Lord, we just pray that this will be the dawning of a new time here in this church. We just pray, we know that you have your work to do in this community, and we just pray that you will work that in a very special way. Lord, I pray for this morning that you will give me wisdom as uh, I speak, and Lord, I pray that your name would be glorified through all that's said and done here today. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. As we have thought about what to share in this farewell tour as we're going around to our churches before retirement, um, this is a momentous time as we close this chapter in our lives that we have had together for more than 30 years. Um, we thought long and hard about what we want to say to you on this occasion, and we hope that what we have to say will be both an encouragement and also a challenge to you. In the course of this message this morning, we want to look back at some of the milestones in our lives so we can remember how God led us to this place. Secondly, we want to show you God's goodness and his faithfulness as he used you in the work of the gospel that he did through us. We also want to look to the future and to the opportunities and challenges that come with this transition for us. And at the end of the message, we'll have a brief presentation uh, that will encapsulate the 34 years of our ministry. So we want to look at the milestones in our lives both uh, our family and then as in this church family. First milestones for us was the challenge. When Jesus was leaving his disciples to return to his father, his words were chosen very carefully to be both a command to give them direction, but also words of comfort and assurance for when he departed from them. Let's turn to one of those final words passages this morning, a very familiar one, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Now, I'm sure there are silent groans going on out there, not this passage again. We beat this dead horse forever. But no, there's a lot here in this, and the reason I want to deal with this passage is I have found that most Christians have a preconceived idea of what these verses say, and it makes it to where they miss the point of the passage. And that's what we want to, to do. We want to clear up some of the misunderstandings uh, 
involved with this. Matthew 28:18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, verse 18 is not just a prelude. It is critical because it is because of this very authority Jesus has been given and possesses makes it so he can give such a bold command in the following verses. If it weren't for that, he couldn't do it. Matthew 28:19-20, we know it's the Great Commission, and it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, I don't want you to answer out loud. I want you to answer this silently to yourself because I don't want people to be embarrassed. What is the command of these two verses? Almost all Christians will say the command is to go. And they would be wrong. That is not the command of these verses. Going is not what is commanded here. Neither is teaching nor baptizing. The only command given in these verses is to make disciples. Going, teaching, and baptizing are all participles used as adverbs to further explain the command, which is to make disciples. We go and teach and baptize as a part of disciple-making, but disciple-making is the main goal, and that's what is commanded. Now, it may be more helpful to think of this word to translate going, go as going, and that gives us a better sense. It has the idea of as you are going or while you're going or possibly even wherever you go, you're to be making disciples. So a better way to translate this in verse 19, the beginning of it would be, going therefore, make disciples of all nations. Now you say, why belabor this point? Well, it makes a big difference. When Jesus gave the command, it was critical that his disciples follow his command to spread the good news to the various places um, around them. How different would our lives be if the disciples had said after the crucifixion, it's all over. There's no kingdom that we were promised. We're not going to be reigning right now. He's gone. Let's go back to our fishing. How different would our lives be? It would be incredible. It's critical that they spread the news that Jesus indeed was alive and that it was only through him that we could have a relationship to the Father. In addition, it was critical for the spread and the growth of the church. First, the word was taken to the Jews, but then later, thankfully, to us Gentiles. The word came to us, to anybody who would hear Now, don't be mistaken. Foreign missions is in this verse. There's no question of that. But the true message is that all of us as believers are to be making disciples 
wherever we go, wherever God has placed us. It's a bit unfortunate in my view for when Matthew says, go into all the world, go uh, make disciples of all nations, and Mark says, go into all the world because it gives us the idea that the Great Commission is out there. It's foreign. It's overseas. But that is not true. Oak Ridge is your wherever you go. It isn't just given to missionaries, but is given to all of us right where we are. We need to bloom where we're planted. For me, I first heard the call to be a missionary when I was 11 years old at summer Bible camp. Our camp counselor was telling of how many billions of people there were in the world and that more than half of them would have no opportunity to even hear the name Jesus Christ, much less the salvation that he brings. And I felt at that time that the Lord wanted me to be involved in reaching those people with the gospel. Likewise, Ruth dedicated her life to Christ during a week of Bible camp down here at Sedine Bible Mission. We often read the command of God in the Bible, but unfortunately, we don't take it to heart. We don't have that yes, Lord experience. We think, here, my Lord, please send somebody else. Or like Moses, we say, Lord, I'm inadequate. I can't do this. Please send my brother instead. Often we think this verse is just for missionaries or for those who are called. Now, yes, there are those who receive a call of God to go either into missions or into the pastor or into another uh, form of ministry, but that doesn't let the rest of us off the hook. Instead, the command is given to all of us. Wherever we go, we are to be making disciples of those around us. Our second milestone was the call. In Isaiah 6, 8, Isaiah writes, Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for me? And I said, Here am I, send me. Now we want to deal with this idea of the call for a minute. Many people, God, the Lord draws many people to his service in many different ways. Uh, look at Jesus' 12 disciples. If you were choosing 12 men to train for the future, would you have chosen those men? They don't have a lot going for them. And yet, Jesus looked at them just as they were. He saw the potential in them. He accepted them with all their inadequacies because he knew he was the adequate one. They didn't have to be adequate. And so he chose them, went to each one of them personally, and invited them to follow him. For Moses, the call came from a burning bush, from the voice of the angel of the Lord. For Paul... He was struck down by a bright light and a voice on the Damascus Road that resulted in blindness for a while, 
so that God would let him know that he was in charge and that that blindness would not be lifted until he listened to the messenger that God would send to him. But there's a lot of confusion about the call. For some, it's a definite one-time event where God lets them know that he wants them to be a pastor or a missionary or some other vocation. But that's not everybody. For many others, it's a gentle leading over time as they're brought along in their faith through the teaching of God's word that culminates in a conviction that this is what God wants them to do. We see many missionaries who, many young people say, I can't be a missionary because I haven't been called. And they get too hung up on that word. It's wonderful if you have a call, but the Lord works differently with different people. In 1973, God called me to ministry through a second challenge. We were at the evening service. They had the youth group meeting for an hour before the evening worship. And a missionary was speaking to the group. His name was Dick Corley. He was a missionary to Iran. I can't tell you anything the man said until the very end. He had two statements at the end that caught my attention. He had everybody bow their head, and he said, how many of you would be willing to be a missionary if God clearly called you? And every person in the youth group raised their hand except for me. Then he made a second statement that infuriated me. He said, if you cannot say you'd be willing to be a missionary then you need to evaluate whether you're really a believer or not. I thought, how dare he um, draw a question about my salvation? I knew I was saved, but I was no longer willing to be a missionary. I remember that night, I was so angry, sat through the hour-long worship service with smoke coming out of my ears. I had just started dating a girl just a few months before uh, who happens to be sitting in the back row with me now. This was when our relationship was just beginning. We went back to her home, sat in the living room, and I vented for what seems like two or three hours. I was so angry. Now, we know now I was under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but back then I didn't know what it was. And I was so angry. I remember arguing back and forth with her. She was much more mature in the faith than I was at that time. And I remember saying through gritted teeth toward the end, God is trying to take everything away from me and make me miserable. And she said, Steve, the Lord doesn't work that way. Instead, he wants to give you the desires of your heart. He knows your heart better than you do. And he wants to give you those desires. Well, I didn't desire that at that time. I had totally forgotten what happened at 11. And by this time, I had forgotten that commitment And 
I had my life planned now. I was going to go ahead, go away to dental school. I was going to come back to Spring City and set up practice and enjoy all the wealth and prestige that dentistry provides a person. I, oh, sure, I'd be an elder deacon. I'd serve the Lord. I'd teach Sunday school. But I was in control of my life now. I had my plans, and I didn't want God messing with them. I was just continuing to fume, and then I looked at the table, the end table next to the couch, and I saw a book there that has helped me more than about any book through my lifetime, and I happen to still have it with me. I said, look at that. That's exactly how I feel. The book was by Don Hillis. I don't feel called. And in parentheses under it, thank the Lord. And I said, you see that? I'm not called. Now, the, we'll leave that story at that point and we'll come back to it in a bit. Because you see, a call is not enough. There must be an answer if we're going to go any further. For Ruth, she had no calling other than that initial dedication of her life during camp. Her childhood had been filled with missionaries. They always stayed in her home. She read missionary biographies, and she was taught by her parents that you be what the Lord wants you to be, wherever that is and whatever it's doing. But she didn't really have a call to missions per se. Our third milestone was commitment. A commitment is a change in direction as a result of the calling, whether that comes through the reading of God's word or from God's leading or from an event or a steady growth in the spiritual walk. Once you read a command and you feel God speaking to your heart, there must be an answer. We as believers often don't realize that when God speaks... We have a choice to make. We either respond by saying, how do I implement this into my life and obey what he says? Or like Moses, we look at our inadequacies and say, not me, Lord, please send someone else. When we respond positively, we move closer to the light, we move closer to God, and he increases our faith. But when we push it away, and choose to ignore the command, we make a choice to stay in darkness, to reduce God's access to our lives, and we lose our opportunity to build our faith. We make the choice of maintaining control of our lives instead of surrendering that control to him. In my own case, I knew God was calling me to be a missionary, but I rebelled against it. But the wonderful thing is God continued to work in my life through godly mentors and especially through sitting under the teaching of his word. You see, I didn't grow up in a Bible church. And the church I was in every week was just salvation. Same story over and over and over with no growth. And in sitting, the wonderful thing is, is in sitting under the teaching of God's word for six months, 
in that church, the one thing I absolutely refused to do became the thing I'd rather do more than anything else. Uh, I couldn't wait uh, to be a missionary. The thing that's neat is in God's gracious dealing with me, it wasn't until I made that commitment that he reminded me of the commitment at 11. He could have beat me over the head with it like a club, but he didn't. He didn't remind me till the end. So as a senior in high school, I made the commitment to be a missionary dentist, and that decision changed the direction of our lives. Everything became focused on the preparation of what God was calling us to do. Through the advice of others, we went to UT Knoxville first, undergrad UT Memphis for dental school. And then the Lord took us for uh, five years at Dallas Theological Seminary where I met Chris Bunn on a basketball court because he had a Tennessee shirt on and we had a natural connection. So that was neat. Our fourth milestone was faithfulness. Now, it's easy to say, yes, Lord, isn't it? But it's much harder to continue when things become difficult along the way. That's when we realize the important comfort of the command we saw in Matthew 28, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You see, Moses put it this way in Exodus 33:15 to 16. He said to them, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. If you're not going with us, we're not going. For how shall it be known that if I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? I'll be honest with you. Time and time again, I know many times we came here and people thought we were crazy for going back. And there were many times that we were brought to tears uh, when we were in Nigeria and asked God to let us quit. Times like when Julie was born with major disabilities. Times like when armed robbers made their third visit in three years to our compound. That gets old. That was back in 2008. When our lives were decimated by friendly fire from missionaries gossiping about us, which greatly damaged our mission ministry for a while in 2009. In 2016, when the Al-Qaeda affiliate Boko Haram in Nigeria made a death threat to our compound and to all who were on it. That was probably the toughest time of all to stay. And then when, more recently, just last August, when the Fulani terrorists were burning villages and killing Christians within two miles of our house, it's difficult to stay. When we were exhausted and discouraged, there were times that we just wanted to quit. But it was in times like these when we would begin to question God and in each circumstance we prayed for God's guidance, and each time he told us to stay, to continue doing what we were doing, to be faithful, to continue, not in our strength, but to continue to put one foot in front of the other, continuing to do what he clearly showed us to do 
until it was time to leave. And God was very faithful to us. He provided. All he asked is that we continue. Looking back to see how he had directed, how he had protected us before, and how he continued to provide day after day. This is when verses like Galatians 6, 9 become instrumental for us. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Another verse that was very encouraging to us at that time was 2 Corinthians 4.1. Therefore, since having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Our fifth milestone was finishing well. Now, if you've been reading the prayer letters of this last three years, that was a theme that occurred over and over. We didn't want to coast into the finish line. We wanted to sprint across and to finish well. The Apostle Paul had this same idea in 2 Timothy 4.7 where he says, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's been our goal all along, and I trust that we received that we have done that, but we came to realize that the finishing line wasn't in Nigeria. We wanted to finish well, but that wasn't the whole story. The steps that brought us to leave Nigeria and to come home when we did are too complicated to discuss in this setting, but the Lord made it apparent to us that it was his time for us to return. Now, in conclusion, we have several things we want to communicate with you. First of all, we want to give all the glory to God. Please don't put us up on a pedestal. The problem with a pedestal is the higher you crank that thing, the further we have to fall. And secondly, the problem with putting people up on a pedestal is it causes others around them to say, oh, I could never do what the porters have done. There's no reason to even try. But that is not true. I guarantee you. You know what? We could never do what the porters have done. I promise you we couldn't. Only the Lord could do what he accomplished. He just gave us the privilege of going along with him, of watching him work. But he was the one that did the work, not us. Paul understood this very same concept. And you'll see that in Romans 15, 17 to 18, where he wrote, Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Even the great apostle Paul didn't take credit for it because he knew it wasn't him doing it. Let me find that verse again. What, he has um, what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done. You know us, and you've known us for more than 30 years. We are plain old, ordinary, normal people. But the marvel is we serve an extraordinary God. That's where it comes from. That's, that's what accomplishes everything. 
Availability and faithfulness are all that are required. I've always loved the song, Trust and Obey, because I find that it sums up the Christian life. All we have to do is to trust God at what he says and obey it and watch him work. He doesn't expect us to do it out of our abilities. He does it himself. We were given the unique and special opportunity to serve him in Nigeria. It wasn't always easy, as you've heard. There were times when we were afraid. There were times when we wanted to quit. Times when we whined and we complained. And sometimes we made poor decisions. But you know we were never perfect. You know us too well for that. But we tried to honor God and to do our best to be faithful. The second thing we want to communicate to you is we want to express our thankfulness to you. The Lord's been teaching us through the past few years the importance of thankfulness. And we stand before you this morning as the tenth leper. If you'll remember in Luke 17, Jesus healed ten lepers. But only one came back to say thank you. We want to be that tenth leper. We want to be the one who made the effort to express our appreciation to you for all you've done. Now, these milestones are interesting, but do you realize you have walked through these very same milestones with us? You heard the same challenge to make disciples. When we spoke in your church and we presented our ministry, God prodded you to be involved and you joined in partnership with him and us. When God spoke to your heart, you said yes to be a part of our ministry, both financially and physically to be a part of our projects or by becoming a prayer warrior for us. You've been faithful to us and our ministry since we began, always generously helping us and the people with whom we were involved. You see what's happened over these 30 plus years? You have become our family. We left our family when we left 34 years ago, but you have become our family. You supported us, you prayed for us, you stepped in when we faced crisis, and you treated us with love whenever we were with you. When we were still in Nigeria and we would talk to the discipleship guys about the heavy travels that we were going to be facing this year, they just thought it was horrible that we'd be traveling 30-something thousand miles. And I told them, what you've got to understand is, yeah, there are hard parts about the travel, but every weekend is a family reunion. Every time we get together with one of our churches, we're reunited with family who have been with us all along. We approach you with excitement, and then as we're driving away, there is sadness because when we were overseas, we knew it would be another three years before we would see you again. What you don't realize is that you are our heroes. Your faithfulness to us will never be forgotten, but will be the reason for thankfulness for us for the rest of our lives. 
we couldn't have done what we did without you and your partnership in the gospel. And someday you may be surprised when you get to heaven. There are going to be Nigerians waiting to greet you because of the influence that you had in their lives through the partnership with us. God's profit sharing plan is incredible. And you share equally in the profits with the people you send out. So we've returned to the U.S. and after this time of thankfulness comes a time of farewell. We can't tell you the grief that this is causing to us to have to say goodbye weekend after weekend. Uh, in Nigeria, we have several terms for goodbye. If you're seeing somebody later in the same day, you say, Sayanjima, means later on. If it's going to be a couple of days or so, you say, Sewani Lokachi. That means in the future, we're not sure when, but it will be. And when we said goodbye to uh, all the people we had discipled and taught in Nigeria, we knew but by the grace of God we would never see them again till heaven. But as believers, isn't it such a blessing to know that there never really is goodbye? We will be together. We will be even with those people from Nigeria. We will see them again. Thirdly, this time will be a new beginning. What does our future hold? Well, our focus right now, our desire is to complete this race well with SIM in such a way that God will be glorified. We want to finish well. However, we realize the finish line is still ahead and doesn't come not till leaving Nigeria, but until we leave this earth to go to heaven. The Nigerian part of the race is over, but the American part of our race is just beginning. It's hard to realize we've spent more of our lives in Nigeria than all the years we were in America before we went. It's a big change. So what will we be doing in our final years? I'll tell you. We don't know. The Lord has not told us yet, but I do know this. He has not said, okay, you have worked faithfully, faithfully with me for the last 34 years. Now go out to pasture and play and have fun and do whatever you want to. Not going to happen. It's just the venue is changing of the service. And he knows we'd be miserable doing that. We have to be involved in some form of ministry. If we had our way, we'd be involved in discipleship and teaching marriage and family like we did in Nigeria, uh, doing purity retreats, during those kind of things. But you know what they say. If you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans for the future. <laughs> so we are waiting for our next set of marching orders. We know he's not through with us, but we're not going to dictate to him what that choice will be. We will wait. We know he has a plan, and we just have to continue to be available until he reveals that plan to us. 
The next topic we want to talk briefly about is the area of finances. You as a church made a commitment to support us in our ministry in Nigeria. We anticipate that either in November or December of this year, um, our support account will be ended in Charlotte at SIM. We'll tell you when that happens. And when, when our support account ceases, your financial commitment to us will have been completed. But you also can have a new beginning. We want to ask you not to plow that money back in to the general fund, but to find another young family, another couple, another individual who's like we were back in January of 88, who's just going, beginning to go into missions. Partner with them, give to them, pray for them, love them just like you did us. We don't want, the Great Commission has to continue. And so we want you to take the money you're giving it to us and give to someone else. You can make a big difference in the life of another missionary, in the life of a community, in a country, as you love them like you have us. Don't forget, you as a church are an important part of reaching this world for Christ but you as an individual are an important part of reaching Oak Ridge for Jesus Christ. Just as the verse we started with, wherever you go, as you're going, be making disciples and touching the lives of those around you. May God richly bless you for all you've done. We love you. We've enjoyed coming back to be with you. You are so special to us. Thank you for your partnership in the gospel with us. And before we turn the service over to the pastor, we have a very brief um, presentation. We tried to figure out how do you communicate for the final time when you're with people you love. So you will see us from beginning to end, from all the way back in 1986 to the present. but I want to ask you, the first song that's, that's played on it is a fun song written by a missionary and sung by her children about growing up in Africa. But the second and third songs really carry the message of what we're trying to communicate to you. Um, so at this time, we'll get that queued up and we'll be able to show it to you. Ruth did the PowerPoint. We had it. We chose the music, timed it, and we had somebody connect it for us. I would like to tell you that all this good PowerPoint stuff that we're doing is mine, but I'd be lying. Ruth is the one who's got the skill, not me. Thank you.